Hey, welcome to this final episode of the week of Come Follow Me, Disciples Journey. This episode, will, uh, I'll chat about Fourth uh, Nephi chapter 1. So, Fourth Nephi chapter 1 got me thinking about, now this could be dangerous, me thinking and all, but about uh, how the Lord tends to operate in a chiatic, chiasmus uh, form, you know, with the first and the last point, the second and the second last points, mirroring each other until you get to a, a core center, right? And uh, what's the center? And the center is what we're supposed to be learning, and, and it teaches us something, and it's the, the focus, the focal point. So in Third Nephi, uh, we read about Christ coming. He came to the earth, uh, and then there was a unity amongst the people, right? And we're going to read all about that in 4th Nephi chapter 1. And that unity turns into chaos, though, when people begin to break their covenants and forget the Lord. So you've got a focus on the, that Christ came, and then there's this unity, and then there's this chaos. And to be honest, I think I probably could think a little bit more about this, and I could find some more specific details, but I think just broad strokes is good enough for now. And so I get Christ, unity, chaos. In the last days, what, all things are going to be in commotion, right? And I think we're beginning to see that. And I think we see that ever since. I mean, that's starting to happen since Christ and his father appeared to the boy Joseph in 1820. But we get chaos. Before Christ comes, we're to gather Israel, create the new Jerusalem, Zion, the new Jerusalem. And Zion is a people who are united, right? And have all things common among them. So we have chaos, and then there will be some unity, and then Christ comes. So Christ, unity, chaos, chaos, unity, Christ. There's this exact reflection, right? The first shall be last, and the last is first, and it's a chiasmus. So I thought about that as I read Fourth Nephi. wanted to share it with you, and maybe you can uh, find some things that, that uh, uh, from that that maybe help you in your studies this week. Because... Uh, so as I was saying about unity, I mean, this I jumped back as I was saying. I wasn't really saying this, but I wanted to share unity in Zion and something I've been talking a lot about in the in the episodes this, this last several weeks as we've talked about the gathering of Israel quite heavily and Zion, the new Jerusalem, and that we need to gather Israel and prepare the, Lord, the world for the Lord's coming. What is Zion is they were, that's a people of one heart and one mind and they who dwell in righteousness and there and there is no poor among them. So that's what we need to try to create. That's what people in Nephi honestly had. He had, and they had all things common among them. Therefore, they were not rich and poor, bond and free, and they were all made free and partakers of the heavenly gift. So they had Zion. How did that happen? Because they were all converted unto the Lord. That precedes Zion. Without getting too political and about governmental structures, that's what I'll say that is the difference between what man tries to do and having all things common among them and what God does. First, you're converted to the Lord, and then that naturally happens. Okay. So, uh, Marion G. Romney uh, talked about how repentance brings us protection and power, and how that conversion unto the Lord is what brings that uh, unity. He said, uh, Webster's Dictionary says the verb convert means to turn from one belief to another. That conversion is a spiritual and moral change. As used in the scriptures, converted generally implies and not 
not merely mental acceptance of Jesus and his teachings, but also motivating faith in him and his gospel, a faith which works a transformation and actual change in one's understanding of life's meanings, meaning and his allegiance to God in interest, thought, and conduct. Uh, in one who is wholly converted, the desire for things inimical or contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ has actually died and substituted therefore is a love of God and a love of other people with a fixed and controlling determination to keep his commandments. So that's what precedes a Zion is, is truly being converted to the Lord. And then, uh, President Kimball in talking about that conversion and having no disputations and having no contention. Remember the contention, the spirit of contention is of the devil. Christ taught us that it comes from him. It's not from Christ. Think about President I think of President Oak's talk in October 2020 to lay aside anger and contention and uh, other talks from, and I think of Elder Walker uh, talking about uh, the culture of Christ. Put other cultures aside, the most important culture is Christ. And when you do that, you can lay aside contentions and disputations and anger and uh, because you can be truly converted to the Lord. And that's what's most important. And that unity and that commonality with your fellow saints is what's important. Not your differences. Not your differences of opinion on this and that. Uh, and so, President Kimball talked about that, said, uh, and talking about what would it take in today, for now, for us, what's it going to take to build that type of society? He said, first, we must eliminate the individual tendency to selfishness that, snare, that snares the soul, shrinks the heart, and darkens the mind. Second, we must cooperate completely and work in harmony one with another. Third, we must lay at the altar and sacrifice whatever is required by the Lord. We begin by offering a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And I say, I emphasize whatever because whatever creates discontent and discord amongst the saints is not good. Even if it may be a good thing in itself, and but if it creates discontent, if Satan can use that to create discontent, then we need to lay that at, at on the sacri- uh, sacrificial altar. Uh, sticking with this society and what it takes, uh, what it takes is moral cur- moral courage to do the right thing, no matter what. Even if we've done one wrong thing, we can't compound that by doing another wrong thing. We have to, uh, even if that first wrong thing makes doing the second wrong thing hard, you have to do the right thing. Uh, that's the moral courage it takes to create Zion. If we've said something that has offended someone, if they've said something that offends us, that makes it now harder to love them, but it, but it doesn't negate the commandment to love our fellow men, to love others as, as we love ourselves. Makes it harder. Doesn't mean it, we don't need to do it. Elder N. Eldon Towner uh, said, a young man came to me not long ago and said, I made an agreement with a man that requires me to make certain payments each year. I am in arrears, which means behind fulfilling the obligation, and I can't make those payments, for if I do, it is going to cause me to lose my home. What shall I do? President Tanner said, I looked at him and said, keep your agreement, even if it costs my home. I said, I'm not talking about your home. I'm talking about your agreement, and I think your wife would rather have a husband who would keep his word and have to rent a home than to have a home with a husband who will not keep his covenants and his pledges. That's the type of moral courage it's going to take to create Zion, the new Jerusalem. 
and talking about having all things common, President Romney, Marion G. Romney said, this procedure, the United Order preserve, uh, preserved in every man the right of private ownership and the management of his property. Each man owned his portion, which he, which at his option, he could alienate, keep and operate, or otherwise treat as his own. He consecrated the church the surplus and produced above the needs and wants of his own family. The surplus went to a storehouse from which the stewardships were given to others and from which the needs for the poor were supplied. And he continued talking about that, and that this is the way that United Order works. It's the way that the law of consecration works. Um, and uh, continuing through in, in the chapter of 4th Nephi, uh, verse 5, performing uh, miracles in the name of Jesus. I love this quote that I found from Spencer W. Kimball because think about, look at the, the works that were done in, in the name of Christ and go back to what I talked about, Christ saying, my name and whatever you shall ask in my name and the power that comes it says there are great marvelous works wrought by the disciples of Jesus in so much that they did. Uh, I'll, I'm going to read the list, but first it says they were mighty and nothing did they work miracles save it were in the name of Jesus. So that's important. But now what's the list of things They did heal the sick, raise the dead, cause the lame to walk and the blind to receive their sight and the deaf to hear and all manner of miracles. They did work among the children of men. President, Kimball said, well, do we have those kind of miracles today? Beyond imagination. If all miracles of our own lifetime were recorded, it would take many library shelves to hold the books which would contain them. What kind of miracles do we have? All kinds. Revelations, visions, tongues, healings, special guidance and direction, evil spirits cast out. Where are they recorded? In the records of the church, in journals, in news magazines and articles, and in the minds and memories of the people. Are they recorded in your journal? Are the miracles that you've seen recorded? One thing that I thought of when I read that was Latter-day Voices from the Ensign, the Liahona. I, that's my, honestly, probably favorite part of, of the monthly uh, magazine, Ensign, Liahona edition, uh, is is the Latter-day Voices. And it's people just, you know, members of the church sharing the miracles that they've seen in their life and how they've seen the hand of the Lord in their life. So... We have this peace and harmony, and they did uh, not walk anymore after the performances and ordinances of the law of Moses, because they knew, right? They knew what what the the the, the new law was, and they uh, prayed often, to, and they gathered together often, and they gave thanks to the Lord. And you want to see how we live that, and how we're supposed to live that in our life? Go read section fifty nine of the Doctrine and Covenants, and in verse fifteen it says. In short, that they led, they lived the first great commandment. And it came to pass that there was no contention in the land because of the love of God which did dwell in the hearts of the people. Now, was it the love of God towards them in their hearts that they let dwell there because they were letting God prevail? Or was it the love of God that they had for God in their hearts that dwelt in, that dwelt there? I think the answer is yes. It was both of those things. And what does that mean? What did it happen? Well, be, because of the love of God which did dwell in their hearts, there were no envyings, no strifes, no tumults, no whoredoms, no lyings, no murders, no manner of lasciviousness, which is sexual sin. And there surely could not have been happier people among the people who have ever been created by the hand of God. They lived the first two great commandments and what came out of that. They loved God. They loved their fellow men and there was no contention and there was peace and harmony. There was no manner of ites. And how blessed were they for the Lord had blessed them in all their doings. 
President uh, Nelson has said, personal peace is reached when when one in humble submissiveness truly loves God. He heeds, he heeds carefully this scripture. There was no contention in the land because of the love of God which did dwell in the hearts of the people. Thus, love of God should be our aim. It is the first commandment, the foundation of faith. As we develop our, our love of God and Christ, love of family and neighbor and will naturally follow. Then we will eagerly, eagerly emulate Jesus. He healed, he comforted, he taught. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Though, uh, through the love of God, the pain caused by fiery canker of contention will be extinguished from the soul. This healing begins with a personal vow. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth. This, this commitment will then spread to family and friends and will bring peace to neighborhoods and nations. Shun contention. Seek godliness. Be enlightened by eternal truth. Be like-minded with the Lord. I'm read that again. Be enlightened by eternal truth. Be like-minded with the Lord in love and united with him in faith. Then shall the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, be yours to bless you and your posterity through generations yet to come. It starts with the love of God and it spreads out to us, to our family, to our circle of influence, to our communities, and on and on. And that is how we create Zion. We gather Israel. We love God. And the natural the natural uh, thing that will come from that will be Zion. And what will come from that will be the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So just to touch on a couple of things here, there's at least three Zion societies that we know of. The city of Enoch, they were taken up. Uh, and number two was this golden age of the Nephite era in fourth Nephi. And number three, the Latter-day Zion, the new Jerusalem that we are to create. In uh, talking about this type of, again, sticking with the unity and the love of God and having no manner of ites and putting our differences aside, I refer you to President Oak's talk of 2020, also Elder Walker's talk from October 2020, uh, and also this uh, this from uh, Elder Richard G. Scott. He said, Your Heavenly Father assigned you to be born into a specific lineage from which you received your inheritance of race, culture, tradition, and traditions. That lineage can provide you a rich heritage and great reasons to rejoice. You have the responsibility to determine, is any part of that heritage uh, that if, is there any part of that heritage that uh, must be discarded because it works against the Lord's plan of happiness? I testify that you, to you that you'll remove barriers to happiness and find greater peace as you make your allegiance to your membership in the Church of Jesus Christ and His teachings the foundation of your life. Where family or national traditions or customs conflict with the teachings of God, set them aside. Where traditions and customs are in harmony with His teachings, they should be cherished and followed. To preserve your culture and heritage, there is one heritage that you need to never change. It is that heritage that comes from your being a daughter or son of the, of Father in Heaven. For happiness, control your life by that heritage. So, and I, really, this last conference, there's so many talks. Like I said, The Culture of Christ by Elder Walker is beautiful about this. Um, and I think also both of President Oak's talks really speak to this as well. How did this society start to come crumble down? Was it some major event? Nope, it wasn't. It was. It, it starts at verse twenty, and it came. And uh, he kept the eighty and four years, and there shall and there was still peace in the land, save it were a small part of the people who had revolted from the church. Just started small, and by the time we're in verse twenty-eight. Uh, there was another church, and it did multiply exceedingly because of the iniquity and because of the power of Satan, who did get, who did get hold upon their hearts. And 
then uh, as we continue, it just degrades faster and faster and faster. Again, this is over a long period of time, obviously, but it started with this small thing. It started with what? Started with started with pride. Why would it matter to a people that they were called uh, what they were called? Why did they want to be Lamanites? Why would it be so important for them to be called Lamanites? Why would a group choose to forsake the transcendent privileges of unity in order to be designated by this name or that? It is simple. It's pride. That's it. That's what it is. Uh, this is from uh, Joseph Fielding McConkie and uh, Robert Millet and Brent Eltop. They said, A desire to be different, a yearning to be acknowledged, a fear of being overlooked, a craving for public notice. I think this is... A, how, how does this apply to us in our day with social media and how we can just shout our opinions from from these tech platforms and... Is it because we want to be noticed? Is it because we want to be different? Is it because we want to feel important? The righteous feel no need for attention, no desire to be praised, no inclination to demand recognition. The prideful demand their rights even when they are wrong. The prideful feel that they must do things their way even when they, when the way is the wrong way. The prideful insist that they must pursue their own path even when the road they take is wide and broad and leads to destruction. And that is what happens to the Nephite society. But in verse 36, we learn about the true believers in Christ. And it says, And it came to pass that in this year there was a rose of people who were called the Nephites, and they were they were the true believers in Christ. And they were among them those who were called the Lamanites, Jacobites, Josephites, and Zoramites. Elder Maxwell teaches us uh, a few points specifically that make and create true believers in Christ. He said, True believers are settled in their views of Christ, despite their weakness and their spirituality, uh, their spirituality is centered on the Savior. True believers gladly perform their duties in the kingdom. These duties are usually measurable and straightforward. True believers are humble. True believers are willing to do what Christ wants. True believers have a balanced contentment. True believers truly pray. True believers have both right conduct and right reason for that conduct. True believers rejoice in the success of others. True believers remember that forgetting is part of forgiving. True believers are innocent as to sin, but not naive. They are kind but candid. They love their fellow men. True believers are happy. Instead of a woeful countenance, true believers in Christ have a discipl- dis- disciplined enthusiasm to the work to work righteousness. They are serious about how they live life, but are also of good cheer. And I think that as um, we contrast that with you know the, what Mormon tells us about the Lamanites and that. They rebelled against the gospel of Christ. They did teach their children that they should not believe as their fathers from the beginning and, and they did dwindle. What are we teaching our children? What are we teaching them about what it takes to be true disciples? Um, and in the end, being a true disciple takes effort and it takes intentional action. We have to choose to be settled in our views. We have to choose to perform our duties and be humble and to do all these things that Elder Maxwell uh, listed and described that make true disciples and true believers in Christ. Otherwise, we can end up willfully rejecting the gospel. not And not even just kind of floating away, drifting away, but willfully rebelling. Uh, and by being those true disciples, we can help invite others, and it's how one way in which we can help gather Israel. Um... Last point, just as a side note, that's kind of where I wanted to end this discussion of 4th Nephi and as we move into, into uh, Mormon next week. 
But one thing is, uh, it says that uh, there was no one. Uh, let me find it. it. Says that uh, there were none righteous except the disciples of Jesus. And one reading of that makes you think maybe it was just those three, the three who tarried, that no one else was righteous. But if we read Alma chapter forty-five, verses thirteen and fourteen, and also Moroni seven three, this is this was also a way to refer to just the believers in Christ. So there, were, there was nobody who was righteous except the disciples of Christ, except for those core people who were true believers in Christ. And I think that's clear to see because obviously Amron uh, doesn't seem, it wasn't one of the three uh, who tarried, Nephites who tarried. He seemed to be a righteous guy. Mormon and his family, his dad, I mean, his dad takes him into Zarahemla. I think we we don't know much about Mormon's dad, but it seems like he was probably a pretty good guy. He was named after the waters of Mormon. He tells us that back in Mosiah chapter uh, 18 when... Um, I lied. That was a joke. He didn't. He doesn't tell us that, but I think we can guess that he was named after those waters. Uh, so my point is, his dad seems to be a good guy. He's a good guy. His son ends up being a good guy, right? There are some people who are righteous. It's not just the whole point of this closing. <laughs> I got off the rails when I made something up. I didn't mean to make it up, guys. Promise. But uh, there are other good people. But the point is, most of the people had turned. They're just living in a society probably a lot like the one we live in now where there's a lot of chaos and contention and anger and hate, and now there's going to be a lot of wars, And as we were about to read uh, in Borman. So I think that uh, if, as we close out these chapters, we get into Mormon's like actual lifetime, it becomes pretty easy to see how he and why he included some of the war chapters and why he would speak so forcefully and and him and his son would say, I'm speaking to you in the future because I've seen your day. And I think they saw our day literally. Yeah, I think they saw it in a in vision and in, in, through revelation. But I think they also saw it every day that they got up and lived their life. Uh, because they were living in that in the same similar kind of day. And they end up seeing the entire destruction of their people, you know. Uh, so anyway, to summarize, contention bad. Love of God, good. Okay, let's uh, let's shoot for that. <laughs> anyway, thank you for all for listening. Uh, I appreciate uh, the I don't know patronage. Is that I don't know. Sure, the listening, the listenership. You guys, I, I appreciate all of you. Thanks to my wife for letting me do this and uh, taking the kids for a couple hours every week while I record. I really appreciate it, Tej. Love you, and I hope to uh, talk with you all next week. Best of luck in your studies, and remember to record, as Christ uh, invited us to record all the things that we see in here and the revelations that we receive and that you receive this week. And we'll talk next week.